The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For today's episode, we are talking about Better Call Saul with Jeff, the executive director of the Belmont Media Center here. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi, Eileen. I'm fine. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So what do you love about Better Call Saul? What do I love about Better Call Saul? This this could go on for a long time. (laughs) Everything. Uh, Uh I think the main character, he is so iconic and something that goes beyond television. I think it, his character is something out of a great American novel. You could find a character like that in film noir. So it's just the three-dimensionality of Jimmy and how they fleshed all that out. So I, I like that. I also like love the place where they film it down in Santa Fe or Albuquerque in Mexico. I love that area of the country. So I'm already favored, you know, towards that. And the cinematography is very, very good yeah, in that uh, yeah. series. And I guess probably like everybody, I like Mike, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great character. He's and so he's, fantastic, you know, yeah. yeah. So those are the main elements. I mean, and also the whole storyline, the way that it's been told. You know, and I was telling you before the show about the, the way that it sort of imitates novels. And it really is sort of like if you look, put the whole thing together, it could be a novel written by William Faulkner or Thomas Wolfe or someone like that. I mean, just the way that his whole life is playing out and uh, we just we don't know what's going to happen. If it were a novel, it'd be a page turner. You just want to keep finding out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting how they're able to do that. Like we know where Saul ends up, Mm -hmm. you know, because we've seen Breaking Bad. Right. You don't have to see Breaking Bad to enjoy Better Call Saul. But I think most people have seen Breaking Bad. So we know who he's going to be. Right. And yet they still manage to make it surprising as far as, you know, what the storyline is like. Yeah. And there's all these little moments where, as in a real person's life, you wonder, is that a moment that in which my whole life took a different turn? Right. You know, by not giving that person my phone number or by leaving something behind that I should have taken with me. And there's all these little moments where you see his decision making and it's just a slight turn. But, you know, what's the scene? What's the episode where he's defending his brother in court and you think he's going to go one direction with it and he goes another direction and you realize to him it's just a big show. Doesn't mean anything to him. Yeah. So that's a really revealing moment about his character. It's true, yeah. yeah. I think, is that from the end of season four? I, I, think, I think it, it could is. Be. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. That's such an amazing scene because he totally gets you, you know? Right. Because you're, you're totally thinking, everybody, yeah. Everybody's like, oh, this guy really cared about his brother. And, you know, it was tough, but he, he, he cares about him. And then he goes out and he tells Kim that, you know, man, I totally got them. And it was great. It was like <laughs> art. It was like jazz and stuff. And she. She's just 
totally flabbergasted by that because he had brought her in too. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, he's he's, he's pathological. It's true. That way. And I know in my own life, I mean, we can all talk about our personal lives, but I know people like that, even in my own family, perhaps, who you you think, you know, you want to have faith in them. You want to keep believing that something is going to happen and it doesn't. Yeah. And you just want, at what point do you give up? And that's the thing that's interesting about his character. At what point does Kim give up or does she give up? We don't really know that. The other thing I wanted to mention right off the bat was that I think, I, I hope that and I know we're going to talk about this later. I hope that they give more of a story arc to Kim, you know, because I think she's equally strong character and there may be something there that was, is worth exploring and that would real because she's the, she's his counterpart in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. So, and capable, yeah. capable of some crazy things. It's true. It's true. And we've seen a lot of evolution in Kim as well, which is interesting because she starts as this this really talented and dedicated lawyer who is being totally misused by Hamlin, Hamlin and McGill. Right. Because Howard Hamlin is terrible and, you know, takes stuff out on her and uh, puts her in the cornfield when he's mad at Jimmy, basically. But then we see her start to change in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and start to become a lot more like Jimmy. Like, Mm -hmm. willing to do things like fabricating evidence, you know, run their little scams, even though they don't actually make money off of them. They just do it for fun. Right, right. It's still, you know, you still see her kind of devolving, which is really sad. Because you're right, she's a fantastic character. And it it feels like just her association with Jimmy is just dragging her down. See, see, I take a different view. I don't Hmm. think that she's changing. I think she's revealing who she is. Gotcha. And that's in the same way that Jimmy is. That's why I think there's more to that than meets the eye, or there could be more to that. Because... That's been there all along, and I think he just happened to bring that out. But I, I, I think that's why it might be interesting to see that whole other side of her, sure. and where she came from, and how she, why would she be attracted to somebody like that? How would they right. get together? And I, I wondered. I have a question for you, sure. Just because you do a lot of these, you, you know, in the time that we're living in now, it's interesting that okay, the show is called Better Call Saul, but and maybe it's just the awareness about uh, gender discrimination and the, the lack of female roles in movies and television mm-hmm. that makes me think. Well, yeah, let's see more about the other character, the female character, right? Isn't right, that right? But I don't know if that's fair to the writers or fair to the story because it, it's not really about that. But so often you see the female character character is just sort of a plot device and not really a a, a full character. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking back to like, you know, Breaking Bad as well, where the main characters are all men and you have Skylar, but she's kind of there as a foil to Walt. Right. And, you know, someone to be in the way of his plans or someone for him to manipulate. I can see that there there really aren't very many women in this show. And that definitely Kim is someone who is very interesting Mm -hmm. and could use some fleshing. I I, I just think now's the time where you could talk to or get feedback to the creators and say hey think about this because it's really it's out in the open now you know yeah that that's really the case do you see as you've seen a lot of these programs do you see some evolution in in some of the new shows that are on the air that there's more women leads more women yeah yeah i definitely say so one of the big sitcom not really sitcom shows uh half hour comedy shows is the good place for instance and the main character in The Good Place is Eleanor Shellstrop. Okay. And she's amazing and multidimensional. And then two of the other main characters are also women who are also amazing and multidimensional. So you have a very great kind of gender parody on that right. show, which is fantastic. 
a show that we'll be doing, uh, actually, <laughs> we're going to be recording probably in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then we'll probably be before this one. Okay, uh, all right. Put out before this <laughs> one is uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, okay, And sure. one of the interesting things about Game of Thrones that I've been reading about is a lot of people talk about, like, the sexual violence right. in the show. But when you look at the show as a whole, it is about female empowerment right that's I've yeah read that okay yeah yeah so I think that that is something that is you know in the zeitgeist right now mm -hmm. and I do see a lot of that in the shows that I watch yeah and I'm so, just, I'm just yeah. wondering if, they, if they're going to take that lead and do something with it because in a way Better Call Saul I mean I've read a lot of novels when I was in college and high school and all that but I, it just makes me think of a book like Look Homeward Angel which I know mm. people may not see that but it's the story of this man and what happens to him over the course of his life um, something also like An American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser mm. it reminds me of that in a way maybe in a strange way uh, but then it, it has I think what's great about this show is it it's a lot like film noir it really is it's television but it's really film noir and it's it takes off on all of those films like Out of the Past with, with Robert Mitchum and maybe two movies, Bogart, that I've thought of, uh, Dark Passage and um, In a Lonely Place, where what happens to the men, the main characters, and their involvement with crime, the underworld, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, that's why I think it's really a great show. It just pulls on all of those traditions. It's true. So we, we talked a little bit about Jimmy. What's really interesting, and it's something that I read the writers talking about, is that they didn't realize that Jimmy McGill would wind up being so relatable and that people uh. would really like him. So when they started him off as Jimmy McGill, this struggling okay. lawyer, a lot of people that really resonated with them, they wound up huh. becoming rather attached to the character, of which I am one. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm yeah. extremely fond of Jimmy McGill. As a character. Yeah, I was fond of Saul, too, but kind of in a, in a different sort of way. Right. So how do you feel about the way that they started him off? And then how did your opinion of the character evolve as you saw him, uh, him evolve? Hmm. I think it's a discovery. It's still a work in progress. And you're just you're fascinated with him because he is both this very funny guy, mm -hmm. very, as you say, very relatable, seems to have a lot of empathy and compassion, but then can turn on a dime and just use it, use people for his own purposes. So I, I agree. I mean, I he's very relatable because he's like every man. You know, he's just a guy trying to make it and has been defeated at every turn. And you hope that something's good is going to happen but at the same time you're kind of i'm kind of delighted when it doesn't and you just want to see <laughs> what he's going to do next I mean, right right <laughs> i go back to my memory of, of films where there's a great line in um the maltese falcon where sydney greenstreet says to humphrey bogart i never know what you're going to say but it's bound to be astonishing <laughs> and in a way, you never really know what Jimmy is going to do, right? It's true. In every scene. And he comes up with just the, the wildest ways to, to mm -hmm. deal with the situations he's in. The whole, uh, what I like, you asked me again what, what I like about that show, the scene or, or the scenes around Chuck's house and what they have to do to protect Chuck and the way that he sets him up and yeah, all the details yeah. around that. It's fascinating to watch it that. It really is, yeah. yeah. You see that too with, uh, with Mike. Right. right. That oh, he Mike comes too. up exactly, right. with the most amazing ways, <laughs> you know, 
Um, like I remember at one point, it was so simple. It's when uh, Hector Salamanca has been leaning on him to say that the gun that uh, was found at the site where he had an argument with, with Tuco and Tuco right. beat him up. Um, they, he provoked an argument with Tuco and there was a gun and the gun was Tuco's and, and Hector Salamanca is trying to get him to say that it wasn't his, mm -hmm. that it wasn't Tuco's, that it was Mike's. And Mike's refusing. And so he knows that Hector Salamanca is going to send people after him. Uh. And so what he does is he gets a welcome mat. He gets carbon paper. Oh, right. And then he puts yeah. it like on his doorstep uh -huh. so that when he goes out and does his thing, he comes back and he lifts the welcome mat. And there's the carbon paper underneath and there's paper. And he can see footprints leading in and not leading back out. Right. right? Right. And it's like, that's so genius. Yeah. yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and it's like, how do they come up with that right, kind of stuff? Right. Yeah. You, you see that in some of the classic heist films where there's no dialogue. They're just uh -huh. showing you. And that's with yeah. Mike. There's a whole scene where they have a tracking device on his gas cap. And yes. now he switches that oh around to track them. I mean, that's pretty cool. And there, I don't think there's any dialogue in that most no. of that episode. But you're just watching going, huh? I could figure that out. I could yes. do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And there's that scene where he like tears his entire car apart. Right. Because he knows that he's being followed and he's right. being tracked. Right. And he can't figure out how. Right. And so he tears it all apart. And it isn't until it's in pieces and he's in like, you know, the chop shop right. office that he sees that they sell those gas caps. Right. He's like, oh, it could be inside the gas cap. Right. And that's when he finds it. And it's, yep. ah, it's so brilliant. That's that's a lot like the scene in the French Connection. Oh, seen that film where they I tear the no. car apart to find the drugs, and uh -huh. it's it's a it's the same sort of thing. And I am sure that they looked at that and said, "This is a great inspiration for this." But being a film buff, I didn't see that coming. You know, you didn't, you, then after they you get to the end and you realize, oh yeah, that's kind of you know <laughs> that's really cool. They also come up with a lot of interesting terminology, particularly uh, <laughs> we probably won't get specifically into what this means, but a uh, Chicago sunroof. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay, they came right. up with yeah. that. Yeah. And a squat cobbler. Right. Both of those are things that they totally yeah. invented. They exist on the internet now because, right. of course, right. everybody's like, yeah. oh, my God, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, both of those things describe things that are not, you know. Well, and Jimmy also, <laughs> as a character, he comes up with different things, too. I mean, the way he just he can does. invent stories yes. and invent ideas and make people think. That you're really talking about something, and you go, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, right. Yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing. I mean, I did. Did you like the scenes in Chicago when they show some of that? I mean, that's that's where he came from. Yeah, yeah I did. So w we lived in Chicago for a while. Oh, okay. So it's it's very much kind of you know he talks about you know being on uh, you know the Magnificent Mile and whatnot and mm -hmm. picking these stores that he's going to basically scam. Right. By pretending that he's hurt himself outside on, the, on right. the ice. Right. So it was very much kind of a, okay, yeah. But yeah, um, so I have a friend who has actually been on the show before. So he does magic. He also is fascinated with con men. And it's kind okay. of coming from the same perspective mm -hmm. of someone who is really interested in how people can fool other people and change the perceptions of others. Right. So a lot of those scams, possibly all of those scams, are ones that he's told me about before. Wow. So it's kind of like, wow, yeah, I am totally familiar with that. And I know why that works because, you know, the whole thing is establishing confidence with mm -hmm. someone mm -hmm. and then also using their own kind of their own faults against them. Right, right. That if you convince them that they're basically ripping you off, 
that they're ripping you off by giving you 50 bucks for something that's, right. you know, supposedly 150. It's really interesting watching it play out. So, and, and that would be a good question for the creators to say, where did, you know, did you look at different confidence schemes to come up with this? How did you, how did they mine all that? Right. And uh, what was their research around that? Because it, it is both confidence, also how, how magicians get away with tricks because they, right. it's sleight of hand. They're making you think something while they're doing something else. Yes. But I was thinking, I have a brother who I'll, I'll talk about just a little bit, be, just because he's sort of like Jimmy McGill or was, mm-hmm. and he can, he does that sort of thing where he just turns the tables. Yeah. Where one time he was driving with my cousin. They had had too much to drink and too much to smoke, I'm sure. And they're coming up to a police stop just for that purpose. And they're going, oh, my God, we're going to be arrested. <laughs> so Steve, my brother Steve says, just be quiet. Let me do the talking. So he breezes past the cop and comes to a stop and jumps out of the car. The cop is coming to us. What are you doing? He says, do you realize I almost hit you? Oh, my God, are you okay? I'm so ter- Why are you standing in the middle of the road? I could have killed you. What's the matter? And he got, was so upset. The cop was like, well, no, no, I'm fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, just go ahead. Just go on. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Oh, my God. But he just he turned the tables, and the cop was upset that he was upset, thinking that, <laughs> oh, maybe I almost caused this guy an accident and oh let him gosh. go. And That's amazing. Like, <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that the next time. Wow. Said, well, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that's amazing. So, and that's totally something Jimmy would do. Right. In the bar yeah. scenes when they go in the bar and set the people up yep. for the, the scam, the investment. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So what do you know? When When is the next uh, season? Is the next season shooting now? Do you know? It is shooting now. Okay. Um, the actors are on Twitter and talking about it. Talking about it? Okay. Talking about okay. it. It is not going to air until 2020. Oh. I know, right? It's oh. <laughs> too long. <laughs> that was my feeling, too. It's like, oh, God. Come on. Is this the last season or we don't really know yet? They say that there's going to be six seasons total. So this is season five. Okay. So it's the next to the last. Would make sense. Yeah. yeah. I just um, want to know what happens after after the Cinnabon in, in um, Omaha. Yes. Right. Yes. Me too. I want season five to like bring us up to Breaking Bad. Right. And then I want season six to be about Gene in Omaha. Because so, so my thing <laughs> is that I totally want jimmy or gene to see kim Mm -hmm. in omaha she's from nebraska right i i want that to be the end game that somehow they reconnect because you know i love that relationship i think you're not the only one yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they've been they've been you know they've been putting in little things about how you know yeah well she's right she's from this area and whatnot and i could totally see her Mm -hmm. having to move back home because everything falls apart in albuquerque so we'll see. You know, I kind of want that moment of her walking into a Cinnabon or, you uh-huh. know, his Cinnabon on her phone and uh, then like seeing yeah. him right. at the register right. and just like dropping her phone in shock. Yeah. It's like that's that's the scene I want to uh, see. OK, um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, I definitely want to know what happens to Gene. Mm hmm. I want there to be some sort of redemption, but I'm not sure if there will be. That, we'll that's see. why I think that, that's why I think they should really do what, what I call an interlude and then focus on Kim's life for a while. And you see how she became who she is and how actually, as we were talking before, how she's not so much influenced by Jimmy, but has inf- influences him. Mm. And maybe her story is even more strange than his. Right. Right. And right. That, that could be a whole another part of his development as a character. And uh, I, I do, too. I want to see them see some resolution. But I also, 
think it's something about the great American story where you can make up your life anytime you want it. I mean, most of the time. Right, If you're right. married and have kids, you know, you, you've made up your life. You have a decision you have to deal with and responsibilities. But if you fail, that doesn't mean you can't start again. Right. And that's what I, I love about this whole series. It's just you have a feeling that he's about to, you know, he's failing and he's going to start something else. He's failing and something else is going to happen. Yes. And their lives could be the end of the series could be that next adventure and maybe you're not sure, are they going in this sort of traditional path or you're not quite sure which, but but that they're together, I think that would be Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, I think that, w- that would be great. I mean, there's a great yeah. ending in uh, the film. The great ending in the film, uh, Dark Passage, where Humphrey Bogart gets plastic surgery and at the end he's telling the woman he's fallen in love with, meet me in Rio, you know, and you're not sure if they're ever actually going to meet up and what the heck are they going to do in Rio de Janeiro after <laughs> escape. But it's like it's a whole new beginning and not really sure how that's going to play out. You know, the other film that I'm reminded of with this series is Castaway for some reason because Ooh. he gets thrown to this island questions his whole life comes back and at the end again he's going left instead of going right to see the woman who may have saved his life and what's he going to do next and you just wonder about that and that's that's what you see with the series but now mike we know what happens to him right yeah he okay yeah he dies yeah Yeah. walt Walt kills him yeah uh kind of in a fit of peak yeah, 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 it's so sad because Mike is so fantastic. What happens to Nacho? Do we know about that? We don't know. Okay, yeah, right. I can't. Yeah. Re- I can't recall. <laughs> was he in? No, he wasn't. Yeah, in, he yeah. wasn't in. He wasn't in uh, Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. No, no, okay. no. Yeah. Okay. Before this this episode, I did an episode on Breaking Bad, so I watched all of Breaking Bad first, okay. and then I watched Better Call Saul, right. which is fantastic because Better Call Saul is full of little references Mm -hmm. to Breaking Bad. Uh, You know, not so much that you can't enjoy Better Call Saul without Breaking Bad, but definitely enough so that, you know, anybody who's familiar with Breaking Bad is like, oh my God, it's that guy, you know? So it's so much fun. But we don't know what happens to Nacho. And maybe he doesn't. Yeah. You know, maybe he escapes. Maybe he, you know, I yeah. kind of doubt it. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, given the yeah. crowd that he's running with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is He is not in the best of situations. Right, right. So I would not be at all surprised if But very he, sympathetic yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. It's surprisingly, right? Yeah. I think, you know. I mean, you know, he does bad stuff, too. But you hope, you know. you hope that he's going to change or he's very sympathetic he's open to obviously he saves jimmy's life it's you know in the beginning of the series right Right, so um that's that's interesting the other character that i wonder about though is is it mike's daughter-in-law yeah i I mean she's interesting character yeah because yeah i actually i'm not sure about her now where yeah she comes down on all this she seems to be be all about the money that she's you know that he's giving her yeah but is she also I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. I doubt that she goes anywhere because we do have Mike um, with. interacting with his, his granddaughter right. in Breaking Bad. So I doubt that she'd be like with somebody else or whatnot. So I, I think that the mom, her mom is still around. Right. Uh, his, but his I wonder if, yeah. she, if she doesn't play a role in Mike's eventual demise somehow that it's behind the scenes that sure, you know, sure. That, that could come out. Because I think there was one episode where you wonder about her. What is this about? You yeah. Know? 
Uh, it's the one where um, she is telling Mike that she hears gunshots in her neighborhood. Oh, right. And then Mike comes and he basically does a stakeout in the neighborhood. Right. And then there's been nothing. And right. he goes home and she calls panicked saying that there were shots again. Mm-hmm. And then like shows him like a, a place on the, the wall of their that's house. Right, where, that's like, right. Yeah. You know, look, that, that was made by a bullet. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely kind of that question of is she taking advantage of him? Right. Is she like imagining mm-hmm. shots because that's what killed her husband? Yeah. It's like, yeah, there is some question as to yeah, where exactly she's coming from. Yeah. yeah. I- is it a, is it like almost like post-traumatic stress syndrome from right. what happened previously? But it could be that, you know, you find out she's one of the femme fatales in the in the series and is <laughs> you know kind of is behind. actually doing stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. 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 Because it would make it would make some sort of sense there. But uh, we, do we know what happens to um, Hamlin at some point? No, okay. no. We, we don't see any okay. of him in He's not Breaking, in Breaking Bad. Bad yeah. No. So. so we'll see. I mean, you know, Howard is an interesting character. They play around with your opinion of him in the first season because at first you think he's the one who's been stymieing Jimmy right. and right. trying to, you know, have a legal career. And then you find out that it's not, that it's basically been Chuck all mm-hmm. the time. But then, you know, the next season he does stuff that's terrible. But then uh, in season four, after Chuck has died, he feels responsible for it because he basically forced Chuck out of the law firm right before Chuck committed suicide. And so he feels like he's the one who caused that to happen. Not knowing what Jimmy's role exactly in that was. exactly yeah. so he's just in terrible state like yeah. you you see him and he looks yeah. terrible so so yeah so I think by season four I know I wind up feeling you know kind of bad mm-hmm. for Howard so it's like yeah he's a jerk and stuff but you know he obviously has enough human feeling that this right. is so deeply affecting him yeah whereas Jimmy it doesn't seem to be affecting him much at all yeah and it's 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 interesting that. Yeah, Jimmy has a lot to pay for, and in any traditional way or the 20th century way, you'd say, well, that character deserves to be put in jail or whatever. But I think these days, you, the way stories go, the way the television programs are produced, things don't work out that way. Nope. It's almost <laughs> like the whole, uh, and I've said this before, but a lot of these shows are like film noir because you don't actually know what the resolution is going to be, and it's not that everybody gets their just rewards or just punishments. It doesn't work out that way. There was a film that came out in, I think, 1989 by Woody Allen called... um, Crimes and misdemeanors, where the main one of the main characters gets away with murdering his mistress and never gets caught. Oh wow! And throughout the whole movie, you're wondering well, he's going to get. Then you realize <laughs> he's just he got away with it, and he's living. And you go, oh, that's a very interesting way to. <laughs> okay, I mean they're not they're not endorsing it, but you just realize, yeah, that that could happen. That could yeah easily happen. And so you watch something like Better Call Saul and realize, you know, maybe uh, Jimmy's going to get away with all of this. I don't know. Yeah, and there yeah. won't be anything that he'll have to pay for. But certainly, working at the Cinnabon in Omaha is is punishment. I right. <laughs> That's like purgatory right there, you know. You could <laughs> it's be. Like you're paying for your sins, you know, one one cinnamon bun at, at a time. So <laughs> I've had jobs like that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do anything bad. I just had to work a job like right, that. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, and and for for him in particular, like someone who is just so flamboyant and right. You know, to be in a position where his whole life is 
getting up early to come in and work the mm -hmm. dough mixer and stuff like that. It's just so, you know, you can imagine it's just so grating on yeah. who he is as a person. You know, because like the very first episode, he comes home and he like right. shuts all the gets, blinds, uh -huh. <laughs> makes gets, sure no one's gets around. Gets the box, gets the secret box. Exactly. You know, puts in the videotape and watches his old, old commercials. Right. Which was like visually, that was fantastic because whenever we see Gene, it's all in black and white. Right. That is very symbolic. Mm -hmm. That his, that is his right. life now. It is all drab and has no color. Mm -hmm. And then he puts in the videotape and he's sitting there and you can see the video in his glasses. Right. And it's in color. Right. right? Everything else is still black and white. And he's mixed himself a drink, too. Yes, like yes. Some Shiva Regal, I think. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, that's in color. And then we go into meeting Jimmy McGill for the first time. And it makes and you think. I, I, I know I, uh, when I was looking at that, it makes you think twice now about when you go to a place like a Cinnabon or a pizza parlor or somewhere, and you meet somebody there who's working there, and you wonder, who, are, who is this person really? Right, you know? right. Right? And maybe to treat them with a little more respect respect or humanity rather than just well you just got a guy working in a pizza you have no idea of right. people's stories you know it's and that's true. Sort of, that's what's cool about that right yeah because it could be anybody like that you know yeah um, that's so true yeah maybe there's uh, we should we should go uh, do some scouting out and seeing what interesting characters uh, are working or maybe we shouldn't do that I don't know <laughs> <laughs> we might find out things we don't want to know right but. right <laughs> somebody's like I can't talk to you uh, <laughs> I paid several thousand dollars so that I don't have to you know reveal who I am right yeah yeah we have some characters like that around the Belmont Media Center once in a while yeah we won't go into who they are but <laughs> Keep keep things interesting there, yeah. Cool. Um, so Chuck, Chuck is so central to to Jimmy's mm -hmm. life and to uh, his person and what happens to him. And Michael McKeon is so amazing. He he made me totally hate this character. Mm -hmm. Totally hate him in the most amazing way possible. Uh, so how do you feel about that character? How do you feel about the relationship? Again, I think it reminds me of real-life family relationships, not necessarily my family, but other relationships I've seen where it's complicated and maybe the only thing you have in common with the person is that you're related to them. And But you ha there's no loyalty there. There's no love in, in a certain way that binds them together. Or if there was, it's completely gone at that point. So I, it's he he's a tough character to like, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. He, he, I mean, at the end, maybe not so much, you know, when, when he causes a fire. But, yeah, he's a hard one to peg because he must have lived, you know, his character alone must have seen so much of what Jimmy did that pushed him that way, mm -hmm. you know. But on the other hand, is he a great lawyer? Is he an ethical lawyer? I, I don't know that we, it would appear to be, but you know, maybe there's another backstory there with things that he did to get to where he got as a lawyer that Jimmy knows. Right, right. We don't really know that. But as a, as a viewer, you think that's certainly possible. And maybe that's why I always liked him. I mean, I like Michael McKeon, who can't, you can't not like him, right? Yeah. As an actor. <laughs> He does so much with that role. Right, and, right. Um, knowing all the other things he's done, he's got so much to offer. I mean, it's, it's great that they cast him in that role. Yeah. Really, the casting yeah. is perfect. I casting mean, is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, Michael and Michael McKean and and obviously Bob Odenkirk are perfect in that role. Mm-hmm. I like I like the actress. Her name was Rhea Seahorn, right? Yeah, yeah, Kim. Kim. Yes. I like her. She's a little bit flies a little bit under the radar with her performance sometimes, and I think you know you could use a little more something. I don't know what, what how you would explain it, but and maybe we're going to see some of that because she's she's a pretty good actress. Yeah, yeah, and that comes off well. But yeah, and uh, Harry Hamlin, of course, is a good. But yeah, Chuck. It's too bad he's gone, right? Yeah, it's true. Although, you know, the, the question is, you know, how gone is he? Because, like, <laughs> in, in season four, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the character's dead. But, right. You know, in season four, we have a lot of flashbacks. Right, going back to that. Exactly. Okay. And, and you know, where he is, he's gone, but he's still such an active has such an active role in the stuff that's going on that is, you know, fascinating. One of the things I find really interesting about him is that we get the sense that he is brilliant, like off the charts brilliant. And he obviously takes the law very seriously. But we also see how he manipulates people in much the same ways that Jimmy does. He thinks that he's righteous Mm -hmm. in what he does. But in reality, he's being manipulative with the rules on his side, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like the way that he records Jimmy and then lets Jimmy know in mm-hmm. a backhanded sort of way that he has the recording, knowing what Jimmy's going to do. Right. Just the whole thing. It's really interesting how he thinks he's so much better than Jimmy is. And yet he also is doing wrong by so many people. Well, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with you. In full, I see what you're saying about the manipulation part. But he seemed to have had his own sort of fuller life. Wasn't he? He divorced, right? Yeah, that's right. We see his wife or ex-wife in a couple of the episodes. But so I wonder if he is, you know, the and maybe we'll see him in flashback where he, you know, he's a very successful lawyer. But yeah, you wonder is there something that he feels that he missed out on or failed on? And maybe for him, it is is his brother. Maybe that's what the failure is, despite all the things he does and despite all the things he says. That that's what sort of tugged at him at the end, like I I failed my brother. Well, I think that it's kind of an Amadeus situation, you know, that he has been the good guy and he's been diligent and he's worked by the rules. Right. Right. And yet it's Jimmy who his parents loved. Right. And it's Jimmy (laughs) who charms his wife. And it's Jimmy right. who can, you know, talk anybody into anything. Right. You know, I mean, clearly Chuck really can't. He doesn't have that kind of same right. skill. Right. So everybody loves Jimmy. Yep. And here's Chuck. And he's like, what the heck, man? I yeah. mean, you know, I'm yeah, the one yeah, who yeah, yeah. is the successful lawyer and who has has done all these great things in, yeah. in school and everything like that. And yet here's Jimmy. So I think that he sees that. And that's really part of why he wants to put Jimmy in his place, mm-hmm. because he 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 sees this and he's like, well, but I'm the one who's done right. Right. Therefore, why should this guy get away, away with yeah. things? Yeah. Which is really, you know, where that conflict comes from, because he's like, well, OK, I'm going to bust my brother out of jail because that's what family does. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give him a chance to come and be, mm-hmm. you know, an underling, basically. Right. And then it'll be great. He'll be an underling. I've done my duty. Right. And then when Jimmy decides he wants to be a lawyer, doesn't tell Chuck, just does it. Mm-hmm. And then Chuck's like, no, I put you in your place. Right. That's right, where that, you belong. That, right, right. Uh, you can't come into my place. Uh-huh. 
It's like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, he's very offended by that. Yeah. He's extremely offended. He doesn't want Jimmy to know. Right. Because, you know, that's just not proper. He did an amazing thing. Right. You don't just, you know, say, right. you know, no, that's terrible. Yeah. But he does it all, you know, in this backhanded sort of way, telling, you know, Howard Hamlin that you can't let this guy be part of the firm. Right. You can't tell him that I was the one who right. vetoed him, but you can't let it happen. And maybe that's what makes it relatable, too, is I'll bet that the creators of, a, of the uh, series, the writers, were minding their own lives because it, it's so uh, – I know in my family there's that – I have three brothers, so there's that jealousy yeah. that runs – we all get along pretty well today, I'm, I'm glad to say. <laughs> but there is that where the, the brother, I think I mentioned to him, Steve, well, he was always getting into trouble, but he was the most popular one. Right. It's like, that's just <laughs> not fair. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at me. You know, I worked my way through college. I mean, give me a break, you know. Right. And it, the worm does turn, you know, in our family. But, but yeah, it's, it's the same sort of dynamic. Maybe you call it Shakespearean in, in some regards, but really it's just a family, the American family. Like, what did I do wrong that I don't get the same? attention that he gets why should he be able to get away with it but it's interesting with with jimmy and chuck because they're both brilliant and you wonder why chuck didn't see that to say oh yeah that's he's like me so of course he's going to do this right of course he's right. going to get away with this because he's brilliant you know and he doesn't he never recognizes that he always wants to see jimmy as less mm. than yeah uh no matter what and it's that that's really where yeah the whole thing goes yeah. and i think that it's really remarkable how much loyalty Jimmy had for Chuck. Right. I mean, you know, caring for him for like two years mm -hmm. where every day, Kim talks about this in uh, his hearing mm -hmm. before the bar. Right. Where every day he got up crack of dawn to bring Chuck, you know, the ice mm -hmm. and the food and the financial times, right. which was only, you know, sold by one newsstand in the city. He went through an amazing amount of stuff to take care of his brother. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to have him sabotage him at every turn is, you know, you can see how heartbreaking that is. Yeah. And you see, maybe you have more sympathy for Jimmy because he's not doing it because he's owed something. He's just doing it. Right. Whereas I think Chuck, there's always a, a transactional nature of what he's doing. You know, like, right, I do right. this, you're going to do that. Well, no, that's not how it works. You know, you, you do something nice because you want to do something nice. That's it. And it's interesting that it's Jimmy the, is the one who can recognize that for what it is rather than, well, I'm going to get you for something later. And yeah. so that's that's another way that he's more sympathetic, I think, more relatable. But Yeah, we see at first the things that he, he does against Chuck. The thing that he did with the uh, with changing the numbers in the the legal documents in order to to sabotage Chuck, where Hamlin, Hammond, and McGill had stolen basically this client right. away from Kim, and so he he does this and he does it and it screws his brother over, but he's not really doing it to screw his brother over; he's doing it to help Kim. Right. But then later on, there's this one moment, and it it, it kind of is together with the uh, it's on the path to how he is acting at the end of season four. There's a moment when he is in the insurance office. And I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, he's there to try to talk them into not charging him for insurance while he's right. not a lawyer. And then he hears that they're, <laughs> you know, they're talking about his brother, and he decides to totally sabotage him. Right. And that was pure maliciousness. Yeah. Like, that had no reasoning other than, let's screw over Chuck. 
right. because Chuck screwed me over. Yeah, well, it's also, for him, it's also another con that he can do. It's like, oh, okay, I can do that. I can get away with that. Yeah. It's like, I don't think he, I, I don't know that he did it out of maliciousness. It's just opportunity presents itself, and that's the kind of character he is. If there's an opportunity to do something, he's likely just going to go ahead and do it and not think about the consequences right. of it. And you see that in, I have to go back now and watch or Breaking Bad because he does that as Saul too. He's always looking for an opportunity right. even when it doesn't really help him in the end. doesn't really benefit him. Yeah, well, we'll have to see in the next, uh, do, you, do you know when the next season's coming out? Is it January 2020? February 2020? I have no okay. idea. Right. <laughs> it's just, you know, a, a hand wavy 2020. It could, yeah. it could go on and on and on. But, yeah, but I, yeah. I would say anybody to any of your listeners, I, I just feel like I can I appreciate this a lot more because having read a book like let's let's say um, *Look Homeward Angel*, which mm-hmm. is a story of a, a guy trying to discover who he is, or go back and watch some of those uh, film noir films, and that brings you right into that kind of milieu where temptation, sin, crime, and you know what decisions you're making and how you would act in those situations. But yeah, yeah. So one of the figures from Breaking Bad that yep. figures, you know, largely in uh, in Better Call Saul is Hector Salamanca. Right. Right. Uh, great character. So great. Uh, I I always love it when there's a scene and the people are talking and then there's like a ring of the bell. Right. It's like, oh, Hector's coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 It's always so great. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, how do you feel about that character? What was it like seeing him transform into, you know, the guy in the wheelchair with the bell? Uh, well, he's, yeah, he's the central character in, in the whole, in both series when you think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, everything pivots on what he's doing yeah. in a way, much more than anybody else in the series. And he's both in control and not in control. Even when he's not in control, he's affecting the events around him. So, yeah, he's a fascinating character. And like Jimmy, you know, what happened to him early on, affected the decisions that he then makes going forward right and you wonder what would have happened had the decision been different had his had his decision been different but a mean guy so mean very mean so <laughs> terrible <a> person <laughs> It hire, like, you know. it hires mean people. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but, you know, we had seen a little bit of that in Breaking Bad. Right. I mean, you know, there was at least one uh, flashback before he was in the wheelchair. Right. Where, like, you know, they're at Don Eladio's compound. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, like, he pees wow. in the pool. Yeah. And then shoots Gus Fring's friend. Right. Uh, which is, you know, the origin of that feud between the two of them. Right. That ends up in Breaking Bad with an explosion yeah. and Gus Fring being like half blown up. But yeah, he is so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, you know, it's is so is um what's his uh nephew's name? Tuco. Tuco, right. Yeah. yeah oh my gosh. I mean, and, and they're equally it, I don't know who's worse. I mean <laughs> Tuco but what's funny, I you know, you talk about Hector, but Tuco is is very funny because he's this very uh, childlike character around his mother or his aunt or his, his grandmother. His grandmother, grandmother, yeah, yeah. And it can be that way, but then completely just pathological and like, yeah, wouldn't it be fun to break their legs? Yeah, let's yeah. do that. Yeah, right? yeah. I know, right? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> That's what? like that is the best scene. Like whenever there's somebody who hasn't seen Better Call Saul, yeah, and they're like, is it really any good? I show them that scene. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yes. Because it's it's perfect. Yeah. Like it, it totally gets the tone yeah. of the whole thing. That it is yeah. hilarious mm-hmm. and it's dark 
Right. And there's a lot of violence involved. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's perfect. And yeah. the writing is amazing. Well, I think and that's getting back to our idea of what's going to happen. You know, Jimmy doesn't really start in a place that he ends up in in Breaking Bad. And you see how he's really being pulled into that more and more by the decisions and the people that he's involved with. And I wonder now if he doesn't come out of that, you know, that the other end of that is somebody finding, as you say, redemption. Right. But realizing, you know, that's not who I am, actually. I let all of that happen because of, but now, because the scams that he does and the things that he does aren't that bad in a way. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Not like a Breaking Bad way, you know. Right, right. He's he's not, he's not selling meth and, you know, killing people. Yeah, right. Uh, like Gus or, yeah. <laughs> but he gets into that world and you realize, and I think in Breaking Bad you see that realization. He goes, how in the world did I get it? I mean, oh, my God, I've got to get out of here, you know. Yeah. It's crazy, you know. It's nuts, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and he's obviously, like, he's really afraid of being found out. I'm not sure he necessarily has to be that afraid, mm-hmm. uh, especially once, you know, Walt has gone back and all of that has gone down. I imagine that at that point, the heat is probably off of him, right? Yeah. That chances are people are not looking to hunt him down and kill him. At least I hope so. Like, yeah. I, I don't want the show to end with some guy, like, showing right. up at the Cinnabon right. and, like, right. shooting him. That would be yeah. terrible. But, yeah, so it'll be, yeah, it'll be really interesting to kind of see how he deals with that, you know, how he tries to come out of hiding, mm-hmm. if at all. It's possible he won't, but... There's, an, there's another movie, and I'm, I'm not going to remember the name of it now, where the main character is tracking somebody throughout the whole film. And I think it's Michael Caine, actually. Yeah, it's mm. called um, Get Carter. Get Carter is the name of the film. It was remade in the 2000s, but you think, you know, he's going after somebody, and the whole movie is basically a setup because somebody's going after him the whole time. Oh, neat. And you think, oh, he's made it. Then you realize, no, 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 no. They've just been <laughs> waiting... For him to get the guy, and then they're going to get him. And oh, it's like, man. Oh, no, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and you're so disappointed at the end, like, wait a minute, he made it. You know? Right, right. So, uh, so yeah, it could be that sort of thing, right? Cause yeah. Because obviously these guys, and what's, what's the, who's the name of the creator? Uh, Vincent Gilligan? Vincent, Vin- no. Vince Gilligan, yeah. Vince Gilligan, yes. Yeah. Because he's obviously influenced by movies, and so if he's not thinking, like, how are we going to? We're going to end this. What I like about it, too, okay, as a personal note, is the TV commercials that Jimmy makes. Yes. That whole <laughs> that whole section with doing the commercials and the cheap TV production. Uh-huh. So, so I lived in Colorado for a long time, and that was my life. I made cheap TV commercials <laughs> and barely made a living, and we would do things just like that. Well, let's, right, let's right. put this over here. Let's do that. Okay, there we go. Yeah, and yeah. I, I can really relate to that and <laughs> say, that actually really happens. People really do that. <laughs> Oh, maybe you could answer a question I have then. So there's the scene where Jimmy is about to do a commercial with the old lady, right? And uh, he says, you know, I want you to, like, push in. And and the guy says, you mean a dolly? And he's like, yeah, I want you to use a dolly. He says, do you see a dolly here? It's like, no. It's like, dolly costs extra, man. (laughs) And so the old lady's, like, coming down on the, uh, like, the stair. I don't know what you call that thing. Like, you know, the the chair that, like, goes down the the stairs. The stair chair, yeah. And uh, what, what Jimmy does is he sees that and he gets an idea that he's going to use that as the dolly, right? But he holds his hands up and he holds them like this. Now, I've always seen that people who are trying to, like, frame a shot will go like this, Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I wondered if the reason I've seen them go like this is because that's a movie screen and that he went like this 
because that's what TV screens were like at the time. They had like a square as opposed to a you know panoramic um, shot. Yeah. Is that accurate? Like, <laughs> or I, I am would I totally say, making it up? I would say, <laughs> in the parlance of television and film production, everybody's making that up anyway. There's no oh, gotcha. Real, they mean, don't do that. Maybe, to... <laughs> maybe there's an actual d- director of photography from the old days who would hold up, and what you were doing was holding your fingers up to make it look like a, a rectangle. Right, like, to like sort of frame thing. something. Right. But yeah. it's usually like this. Oh, okay. You, you, so you're right, so like a... Right. So like thumbs like a, together, fingers pointing like a up. Goalpost, yeah. Right, like right. football goal, but goalpost, yeah. Every if you see somebody doing that, they're just making it up. Gotcha. <laughs> Absolutely. And and the whole thing about oh a dolly shot. I mean, I I worked for Roger Corman for a while, so we oh, do cool. really really cheap movies, and we had a assistant director of photography who just got out of film school, uh-huh. whose father was a DP, so that's why he was on the film. And so we were working, and we were actually our photo- director of photography was. Um, Janusz Kaminski, and it was his first American film, who wow. later went on to win an Academy Award for Schindler's List and yeah. et cetera. That's who I worked with. That's amazing. And so this <laughs> kid was saying, well, should we try a Dutch tilt? You know, and everybody looks at it. <laughs> it's like a film school thing. It's like, just do your job. Just don't <laughs> give us that. We'll tell you where to put the camera and how to get the right. Right, right. You know, like, don't oh give gosh. us this churrasco lighting. You know, like, no, put the light here, put the light there. <laughs> That's the effect I want. So, right, right. So the real film world, even at its highest level, it, people are artists. And they're not thinking techno, technical terms necessarily. They're just right, thinking, right. how do I get the effect? How do I get the emotion I want out of this scene? You know? Right. So that's funny. That's, yeah. that's cool. But I really relate to that. I mean, I've done those commercials that they <laughs> did there. But I still have them. So Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like everyone's familiar with those sorts of commercials mm-hmm. you know the one the local ones that come on with like the guys and the uh, used car lots and stuff like that i i did a commercial i know this is not part of the show did a commercial in a used car lot where the tr- trick was we had two models in bikinis and they sh- <laughs> and they and they cut a volkswagen in half oh my gosh with a chainsaw and that was a commercial <laughs> And That's amazing. As we're filming this commercial, the wife of the owner of the car lot pulls up in her car, has no idea what's going on, and says, pack your circus and get out of here. What are you <laughs> doing? It's like, but your husband paid us to do this. I oh don't my care. Gosh. Get out of here. So, that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what else do you like about the show? Oh, I love everything about the yeah. show. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, the cinematography is fantastic. The visual storytelling is amazing. Mm-hmm. There's this one scene, uh, I think it's the start of an episode, too, where you have, it, it takes place in the border checkpoint, where there are border agents who right. are examining <coughs> trucks, basically, as they come through. And the entire scene is shot in one shot. Oh, I remember that. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's uh, amazing. Yeah, there are a couple places in there where like people pass in front of the camera where you like mm-hmm. they might have edited it there. Right, but it, it looks is like it's a subtle shot. enough yeah. that yeah. It, it looks like a single shot. Yeah, and it's fantastic because yeah. it's like you know all of that. You just have to admire the amount of mm. rehearsal and choreography that has to go in that, and it portrays this great 
feeling of the way that the border patrol are doing their jobs. Mm -hmm. Their eyes are always open and there's nothing hidden from them. Right. And it's very thorough. So you see this happening. And then the truck that is the subject of the uh, investigation goes off. And then you find out that it's one of one of the bad guys trucks, basically. And it is so amazing. Just the shot and the way they did it and the storytelling there is fantastic. Yeah, that's that's I remember that shot. It was one continuous take. And that's that's the thing about this series, and there might be other series like it, where it's sort of like I would call it old style filmmaking, where you're really trying to get the shot. It's not about the special effects or the way that you can make it look like it's a sunny sky or whatever, and it's not. And I think they did that in Breaking Bad, too. They used the landscape a lot yeah. to tell the story. And that's what's so cool about it. They're really trying to emulate something, you know, and it, it gives it a whole different... You feel like you're in another time. The cars are another thing in that in that that I like a lot. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, as a guy and a, somebody used to drive vintage cars, it's really cool to see these old... Yes. Even, even they're not the greatest cars, they're, they're really <laughs> cool to see. And I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Nacho's car is pretty. He, he drives a pretty yeah. cool car. I can't remember what that is now. But well, I love Jimmy's car. Yeah. The Esteem. Oh, yeah. And it's all beat up. Right. You know, it's like that is that is just hilarious. Yep. You know, it's like, yeah, that's that's his esteem. His esteem yeah. is in really bad I shape. I had a car like that. You know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I, the one red door. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's that's one of my favorite moments is like first episode where he's driving through the street and uh, one of the skateboard kids. It's, yeah, hits that's him, right. Right. The setup. Yeah. 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 And they're doing that thing. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the kid's on the ground and his brother's like, you know, you hit my brother. I'm going to call the police. No, no, don't call the police. Well, then. Well, then how are you going to make this right? And then you can see he recognizes right. like, oh, my God. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know, guys. How am I going to make this right? And they're like, 500 bucks. They start kicking the guy on the yeah. rest. 500 bucks? Okay, 10 out of 10 for execution, 0 out of 10 for choice of victim. Right. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> and look at that, that POS. Does that screen payday to you? Yeah. The only way that that is worth 500 bucks is if there's a $300 hooker sitting in it. Right. It's like, that is, ah, perfect. Yeah. Like, it's that, one that's of the things, great scene, like, yeah. from the very yeah. beginning, just totally like, yeah, this this show is going to be awesome. And, and maybe that's why people do relate to it, because everybody, you know, you maybe you've driven a car like that and been in that situation. Yeah. You can relate to it. You know, you can't relate to the, the hero that's got a cool car, right? That's right, just right. not something you're going to have. But <laughs> nope, nope. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got, it's got like a working class ethic to it. Even the car that Nacho drives, and I'll think of what that is. It's, a, it's an American, he's driving an American Motors car, remember that? Mm. It's a very peculiar car, even in its time. Gotcha. And uh, it's an AMC, and it's like, who has a car like that, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a car that's a, uh, you know, a car you got made in a chop shop somewhere. They took right. an old AMC in. But it's an AMC, which is like way, way, way below. So in a way, what he's driving matches Jimmy's car in this, you know, even though it's hopped up and all that. Right, right. But kind of in, in his world. Exactly. It's kind of, like yeah, he's driving yeah. a Mustang or a Dodge Cobra or something like that. But an AMC car? No, it's easy. Right, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the writing on this thing is just so fantastic. Yeah. It's the sort of show that, like, I'm, I'm interested in screenwriting. 
uh, it's the sort of show that I totally want to get the screenplays mm -hmm. and then like read them and watch and then read them again to kind of get a mm -hmm. feel of you know how did they how did they write this? Right. It was the dialogue is fantastic and then the way that everything pieces together is amazing. Yeah. yeah. And you and you and I know from my own experience making commercials and other kinds of projects, you don't always know how things are going to play until you start editing them together. Right. And that's what's interesting. It's you can see the care that they put into this and how. If, how is it actually going to play out when they when they piece it together? Because some of it's based on okay, he did a better performance here, but the camera was in the wrong position, or right, the camera really right. has the great angle, and maybe the line reading isn't that great, but it's going to make it work. It's going to work together, right? So you don't know what's left out. That's what I would. That's what I would love yeah. to see in this is yeah. what are the scenes they didn't put in. And maybe there's there's going to be a director's cut or something where you're going to see these these other scenes, right? Right, right. Um, they do that with what Veep. At the end of every episode, they show you deleted scenes, which are <laughs> funny usually. But right, right. Yeah. So it's really it's it's really the care they they put into that. It again reminds me of the fact that I once attended a seminar with Ken Burns, mm. the, the documentary filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. And they asked him a question. This is a long time ago. How do you get these great zoom shots of these photographs? Because there's so much use of photographs and the zoom in and zoom out. And of course, iMovie or Apple adopted the whole Ken Burns effect gotcha. into their iMovie wow. software based on that. And, and the guy was asking, you know, what's your secret? You know, how do you do that? How do you do that? And Ken Burns just said, practice. Yeah. He said, do you know how many hours and how many times we did that, that shot? Till we got it the way we wanted it. He said, that's all it is. Yeah. And you realize, yeah, that's art. You know, that's how you do something. You think about it. And, and, and there must be that kind of care in this show. They must have a blast doing the program. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a love of film, a love of art, a love of, you know, action and adventure and uh, intrigue and the acting. And have you seen any of the shows that they've done where they've talked about the show or any of the? I have not. Okay. No. Yeah. Because I know they go to some of the conventions, right? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. As an ongoing show. Yeah. yeah. It'd be interesting to go to one of those. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just Bob Odenkirk and Michael McKean must crack people up oh, the yeah. entire time because they're both very funny people. Yeah. Right? Well, it's, it's amazing how many people are actually comedians, like comedians right. by training. I mean, obviously exactly. Bob Odenkirk and, and uh, you know, Michael McKean too, uh, Jonathan Banks. Right. You know, he got his start as a comedian. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's in the Police Academy movies. Okay, oh, that's right. Um, he was in Gremlins. And he's in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So he, he's done a lot of comedy stuff. Apparently, the uh, the vet is a comedian. Um, okay. The, uh, oh, the guy okay. who plays Huel is a comedian. So you have all of these comics, right? And they're doing very dramatic work. Mm. And you actually have a lot of that in Breaking Bad, too. Right. That, you know, of course, what's his name? The guy who plays Walter White. Um, oh, oh, yeah, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. Right. You know, he he did a sitcom. You oh, know, yeah. that's that's yeah. what he was doing before yeah. he did Breaking Bad. You know, you have all these people who are comedians by training, and that that really kind of allows them to do this on-your-toes sort of drama, you know? And I think comedy yeah. is timing. And so they're able to, I think, carry off those scenes that you're not quite sure what's going to happen in that scene, and they can add different timing to it. But, yeah, I think comedians are much 
more aware of that like what's going to make my audience react because that's what your whole career is based on right For right more dramatic actors unless you're on stage a lot you know do a lot of that it, it, it's either natural or something you really have to take your time to do yeah i know that in the film that i worked on a science fiction movie called uh, lords of the deep for roger corman mm. we had a couple of you know b actors in that but we also had bradford dillman and who was funny who was actually very very funny and he could make the whole cast crack up but he knew how to get the other actors to respond to him in a certain way because the director didn't know what she was doing so it's that you know you have to know yeah, what yeah. do i say to get the right beat into that scene and you know it it really goes in with you know con men and magicians that it's all about getting a person's attention and their trust and then you know being able to use it in a certain way to to have a certain effect yeah yeah, like I remember the scene where Mike is waiting to be a bodyguard for the guy who like winds up buying a big, huge like yellow SUV. Oh, yeah. Uh, right, right. Amazing. Um, and he's standing there with these two other guys. And there's this guy who's huge. And then this That's other right. guy who's like, you know, really smart ass. And uh, he's, he's like, you know, the guy asks him, you know, what, what are you packing? And he says, pimento cheese. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? They call it the caviar of the South. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, you know, he, he, he uh, the, the, the guys, when, when he, he shows up, you know, he's like, we don't have to bring this guy. He didn't, he didn't even bring a gun. Right. And Jonathan Banks is, or Mike is like, well, if I need a gun, I'll just take one from you. <laughs> and just the way that the whole thing yeah. spools out, it is hilarious. Right. Every single moment of it. And it is just totally, you know, the timing and, uh, you know, subverting ex- expectations and the whole thing. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah, there is a lot of humor in that Better Call Saul. A lot yeah. of humor. That that's makes it must-see TV in that way. And yes. the whole uh, series of scenes when he's becoming a lawyer and he's going back to the clerk to get his paycheck. Yes. The different ways he's interacting <laughs> with her. That's so funny. I yeah. Mean, and he's learning what he needs to do to be able to, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> and then struggling against Mike, who is, you know, making him get more stickers because he's the but, parking attendant. Yeah. But I think that you're talking about what scene you show people. That first courtroom scene, if, if you're oh not. Oh, my gosh. If you're not. <laughs> if you don't turn away. Yeah, then I, yeah. Then I guess you'll stick with the series, right? <laughs> it's that, true. That's yeah. probably the worst. I mean, that's uh, I can't think of anything worse than that. Yeah. At least they don't show <laughs> things. They just. You know, they show a, a little, little, but not bit. enough. Where you like, yeah, right. not enough. It's but not like they're going, showing oh nudity, but yeah, yeah, yeah. What is this going to be about? Yeah, and it's, I think it's a little <laughs> bit of a um, setup for the audience. It's like they're showing you something. I mean, the creators themselves are like Jimmy, and that they're showing you something, making you think, oh, when's the next scene going to be? And then it never comes, you know. Right. But something else happens, and then something else happens. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I think that when you talk about <laughs> scripting, you know, that's interesting thing. It would be interesting to look at that because a good script in, in movies or television, you, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. The ex- there's no exposition. It happens on the fly. The characters reveal that as they go a great movie to see if you haven't seen it that one of the best scripts ever written and sort of like uh, better call saul in the way that it plays out is chinatown Mm. you have no if you've never seen the film you have no idea what's going to happen in that movie and you only learn things as the main character learns them so you you get taken along for the ride nice the entire time i would recommend to the listeners out there go see chinatown watch it a couple of times and then yeah 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 Cool. 
So uh, we, we talked a little bit about what we'd like to see in the future. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas like on the short term, like what you think we'll see in season five? Well, I no, really, I guess I don't. I mean, I just <laughs> I, it's so hard to predict. I'd like to see, as I said, I'd like to see them do some more with Kim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. We, I don't think we know. Are they going to go into the future in mm-hmm. the next season and then go back to the past? Are they going? I don't think you're going to see much of the, the, the Better Call Saul era. I think they're going to find a, a way, a mechanism to just go right past that. Because why would you? Yeah, you've seen the show, right? Right, right. Maybe what they're going to do is do something where – you get to that point, and then Jimmy wakes up, and it's oh yeah, he's in, in the Cinnabon. <laughs> right, right. And that's the next thing you see, right? Is that. right. So that's going to be that's that could be a challenge, though, right? Yeah, definitely. What do you think? Well, I've heard rumors that we're going to see uh, Jesse and Walt, ah. which would be interesting. Like you know, I've heard that too. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. People have said that everybody just wants one more. Yeah, bitch. Right. Uh, <laughs> 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 Which is, of course, what Jesse is famous for. Right. What um, he says, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've heard that we're going to see that. So we're going to be doing that, at yeah. least a little bit more. Yeah. I don't expect them to have a central role at all, even just like somehow having a scene in the high school mm-hmm. where, you know, he's his student, basically. We, we think about it this way. I think you might be right onto something there where you're going to see a scene that you saw in Breaking Bad, but from uh, Saul's perspective, and you'll see the other side of that scene. Right, right. That, And I think uh, I would bet, because of the fan base, that they will do more of that than we think, only because they know people are going to love that. Yeah, they're gonna yeah. eat that up, and so you almost like it's the other side of Breaking Bad, and how maybe what we could see is how that action in that film affected Saul, and that leads to these changes. Right, what's right. not revealed in Breaking Bad, you see there. So, and then of course when he goes after uh, Omaha, you might see then the other side of Breaking Bad of who's chasing him, right? If anybody, as you right. said. So um, they can go so many directions with that. When we should have on, you should have on your show, I'll try to get a hold of him, is one of our inter- interns here worked on a season of Better Call Saul as a production assistant. He said his favorite person on the set was Jonathan Banks <laughs> by far. And this is a kid, you know, he's yeah, out there working. Yeah. He said this guy was, like, great to everybody. That's wonderful. So, um, That's so great. Yeah, maybe we'll get him on here. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Call Jonathan Banks on the phone. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to work on that. Cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, this I is great. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be on your show. I've heard much about it. Thank and you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Hopeless Fancast. You can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Fancast, on our Facebook page, The Hopeless Fancast, and find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.